Hello and welcome to this Life Changes podcast. You are now listening to one of our Sunday messages. If you'd like to know more about Life Changes, you can visit us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Now lean in and enjoy. It was the weekend before Christmas and I'd love to read you a poem. Everyone ready for that? It was the weekend before Christmas and all through Cape Town. We were waiting for Santa, but mostly for some rain to come on down. Forget Rudolph, the elves, and even the dream of a light dusting of snow. None of these matter too much when our dams are getting low. Temperatures are soaring, and we're all beginning to sweat. You can keep your white Christmas. We'll take one that's just a little wet. Boney M's Christmas carols don't quite work in this African heat, but dropping them all makes Christmas feel incomplete. So I propose some Capetonian changes to the festive songs we sing. These will make us more jolly, more than the day we first got Burger King. Change Christmas tree to table mountain and the word snow to rain. Trade mince pies for KFC and we'll start to feel cheerful once again. Swiss Santa's workshop to Blue Peter, the North Pole to Table Bay Mall. And we'll exchange jingle bells, jingle bells for a plain old rugby ball. Swap reindeers for stormers, but I think we'll keep the mistletoe. I still take any excuse to lean in and kiss my fro. It was the weekend before Christmas, and though we still hope for it to be a little bit wet, here at Life Changes in Cape Town, we know it will be the best Christmas yet. Come on. So you wondered how I won my wife, eh? Poetry skills. Why don't we stand to our feet? Just having a little bit of fun here this Christmas. We're going to read Scripture together. We're going to read Luke chapter 1, verse 26 to 38. It's a familiar portion of Scripture. If you're wondering why you're standing and you're visiting this evening, it's a warm welcome. Won't you say well, the reason why we stand is because we want to honor the Word of God above uh, a fired-up redhead's opinion or anyone else's uh, information they want to push through. We want to say the Word of God is highest authority. That's why we stand. Let's read Scripture together. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 goes like this. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel, a good name if you think of one for your child, sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, and a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll name him Jesus. He'll be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he'll reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he'll be called the Son of God. What's more, your relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For nothing is impossible with God. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. Let's pray this evening. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this somewhat familiar portion of scripture. But I thank you, Jesus, that you are wanting to speak through it to us this evening. We open our hearts wide and we say, speak, Lord. We are listening. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Why don't you take a seat? Say hi to someone on the way down. Say hello, hello. I love Christmas. I have a drink today. I love Christmas. 
so much that I'll write poems about it. I, I just love it all. I love the Christmas trees. I love the lights. I love the Christmas pudding. I'll take it all. From the moment the November 30th ticks over to December 1, it just seems like there's a new, renewed sense of hope in there. There's some people that start longing and anticipation and expectation and excitement start to become the language of the day. But I also like to echo the words of a famous author when he once wrote, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. And just as much as there's renewed hope in people's hearts and, and, and a twinkle in their eyes, Christmas is coming fast upon us. It's also a time where there's greater loneliness. There's a mo- these are moments when it's a reminder of how broken relationships are. Time where we realize how financially stressed we are and how fearful we are of the future that lies just on the horizon of January number one. And I want to say this, this evening to us, that I believe God wants to speak. Tonight, would you, would you believe that God wants to speak to you and I in, in this the best of times and possibly the worst of times, whether you're on the mountaintop and you've had an incredible 2017, or you're in a valley at the moment and it's been a bit of a slog this year. God wants to speak to you and I. He wants to speak hope. He wants to speak faith. He wants to speak peace and joy and future into our hearts. I'd love to just add to that at this moment that the enemy is also wanting to speak. Just as much as God is wanting to speak, there is a second preacher named Satan who is wanting to speak at this moment. Speak chaos, confusion, doubt, fear, insecurity into your hearts. This is a, the narrative of Scripture. From the page one of the Bible, there's been two preachers. Page one, we introduced the first preacher. His name is God, and he speaks the first words out of his mouth towards humanity are blessing, increase, influence, authority, favor from God. He wants to bless us. That's what God's first, vo- first voice and expression to mankind was. But just one page over in chapter three, we see the introduction of the second preacher named Satan slinking onto the scene and calling straight away, calling into doubt what God has called good. Did God really say? And from that moment all the way through the rest of the pages of the Bible, all the way into our hearts today, we're always faced with these two preachers who are trying to get our ear, trying to get our attention. God trying to preach his truth to our hearts and the enemy coming to distort it. There are two preachers, and we have to understand which one we are going to be listening to. Because here is my thesis this evening for you and I, is I believe that the voice that we listen to determines the future we'll walk into. Let me say that again. The voice that you listen to will determine the future you'll walk into. Tonight, I want to help us with this understanding, because in uncertain times, in moments of chaos, no matter what you're going through, we have to tune our ears and say, which voice will we be listening to? So this, morning, this evening, as we look at this scripture, verse 26 to 38, there's three things that leap out to me I'd love to bring into our attention. Number one tonight, in understanding which voice we're going to be giving attention to, number one is will you be listening to, will you be giving ear to the voice of your failure or to the voice of his favor? Will you be listening to the voice of your failure or the voice of of, of his favor in your life. You see, the story opens up with the angel appearing to Mary and saying, Mary, you have found favor with God. And the very first way Mary responds, it says this in the little text there, it says, confused and disturbed, Mary wondered what this could mean. Confused and disturbed. And I'd love to open up this understanding for us that the spiritual backdrop that Mary was, was stepping out of was not one where this was the norm. Angels just appearing on a... On a, on a Christmas Eve. Yeah, angels just appearing into your room just to give you some good news. No, no, no. This was not the natural order of the day. Actually, it was far opposite of that. 
For 400 years, there's been silence from God, apparently. It's called the intertestimonial period. It's been called the, 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 the silent years. And in your Bible, probably same as mine, there's the Old Testament, there's the New Testament, but in the middle, there's one page. It's a blank page in my Bible that separates the two. That blank page represents 400 years. From the end of Malachi to the start of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that one page is 400 years where the present word of God was absent. No new revelation, no new scripture that was being, writing, being written. This was, it was just almost appeared like the God had gone silent on the people. I'd like to present to you, maybe God hadn't stopped speaking, but the people had just stopped listening. But here's the understanding of what happened. The reason why this seemed to become the, the spiritual backdrop for Mary uh, was, was, was a years of silence, but also years of shame and guilt because the 400 years followed on the years that the nation had spent in Babylon which we had been preaching through the book of Daniel. The nation had been taken into captivity and exile. And this was the shame, the stain and the, of, the, of society in Israel. They were ashamed of those years, ashamed of what their forefathers had led them to go into a foreign land in captivity. So much so that they said, God is angry at us. We've got to make rights and restitution. Let it never happen again that we have to do that. So the religious elite of the day would remind the people again and again over the 400 years when the voice of God seemed silent, the voice of man got louder and louder and started to remind them of their guilt and shame, lest we forget. So this was the heavy load that, that the nation and Mary being a part of it carried, that actually we are under guilt, we are under shame, we are under oppression. It's on that spiritual background backdrop that the voice of the Lord comes and says, Mary, you have found favor. So Mary in this moment has a choice to make. Which voice, which way will I lean? Which voice will I give attention to? The voice of my nation's past failures? Lean into that, what I've known, always known and experienced, or actually lean into the potential of what God is calling a new day? Mary had a decision to make in that moment, and I love to say it was actually not just Mary's decision to make, it's our decision too today. You see, there was an, an author called Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the original writer of the Sherlock Holmes novels. He was a renowned prankster, and there's, a, there's an anecdote about him writing a, a telegram to 10 lords of London. And each one went like this. It said, just, he was just a, a bit of a naughty guy with a twinkle in his eye. He left his name off at the bottom. And to 10 lords of London, he sent a simple telegram saying, all has been discovered, flee at once. The next morning, all 10 had disappeared from society. They thought their secrets, whoever Arthur Coronador didn't even know about them, but they'd gone. And uh, <coughs> it's a humorous little anecdote, but actually... I, my heart resounds with that because I remember that feeling, that fear. Because for many years, I had been—I spent my teenage years addicted to internet pornography in secret. No one knew about it. And every time my parents would pick up the computer or move towards the computer, that panic moment of going, did I delete the history this time? That fearful moment as my palms got sweaty going, would this be the moment where I get exposed? This is the natural, I think, or the echo of every human heart. And I believe maybe some people here tonight, you, you shiftedly going, did I delete those messages, the SMSs I don't want my spouse to be seeing? Maybe, maybe there's a thing going, when I get home, I've got to move the funds around because I shouldn't have spent the money then. I don't want the family to know that I've been misappropriating the money. So I've got to move things around so they'll never know. I, I don't know what your story is, but, but I know my own heart and the fickleness of it. But maybe it's not just what you've done. Maybe it's what's been done to you. And it's a shame, and maybe it's not a secret shame, it's one that is very visible for everyone, that you've just carried as a weight for many years, and you've actually given up even trying to hide it. Maybe it's something not even done to you, but something that hasn't happened, that, that hope deferred. You've seen friend after friend fall pregnant, you're like, why not me? Maybe it's, why, why hasn't he proposed? 
Why did I get, why was it I that got retrenched? Why did I didn't go get the repro- promotion? And it's, and it's that, that shame, that, that failure that you carry around uh, like as if you're dragging a, a, a loose piece of toilet paper on the bottom of your shoe that everyone can see and you just, everything you can try to do to get rid of it, but it just won't go away. This morning, or this evening, I think it's this evening, it's confusing in Cape Town. I want to help us understand that the enemy, Satan, his number one job is not temptation. He's pretty good at that, but his number one job is not temptation, it's accusation. So much so that in Scripture, he is called the accuser of the brethren. He says that he never stops accusing night and day those that have been called by God. He never stops accusing. This is his nature, and he uses two tactics. The accuser uses the left hook of guilt, which will pummel us again and again against the ropes of the ring until we punch drunk and we have nowhere else to go but down. He hits us with guilt, and guilt is a reminder of what you've done. You, are, you let the side down. You're divorced. You're broken. You're a failure. You're rejected. And it'll hit us again and again that we failed again and again. And just when we think we've lost our footing, he hits us with the second his right hook of shame. Guilt and shame combo. And shame is not, guilt is what you've done. Shame is convincing us that what you've done is now who you are. That you're not just, you're not just somebody who, who sinned. You are that sin. That's who you are. You're not someone who just messed up or had an affair and cheated once. You are an adulterer. And he'll confirm that in our heart, left and right, guilt and shame, guilt and shame again and again and again until we have nowhere else and just that's, that's our reality. And that voice becomes the loudest voice in our life and we're never able to move forward for that because the voice you listen to determines the future you walk into. But let me tell you this exciting antidote. It's been a long day. Antidote this evening is this notion of God's favor. Let me explain God's favor to you. God's favor is dependent on His nature not yours. His nature, not mine. His, his favor is based on his victory, not our history. His favor is, is, is received, not achieved. The enemy will say, you don't measure up. You've got you to do stuff. Start at the bottom, snakes and ladders. But it's not achieved, it's received. It's not worked for, it is received. This is the nature of God's favor. So here's the implication for you and I this evening in this understanding. Is that we have to get rid of the would have, could have, should have language. The would have. I, w- I would have done it differently if I could go back in time. I could have. I should have. The, the language of condemnation, which is underscored by the passivity of regret. It's a dead language. Because here's the truth. You can't unsin. As much as sometimes I wish I could take those words back. As much as I wish I could go and, and reclaim those lost years. As wish I could go back and try again. I can't. I cannot unsin and neither can you. But you can repent. You can't unsin, but you can repent. And here's the good news for you and I today. Repentance is not wallowing in your failure. Repentance is rejoicing in His favor. Repentance is not wallowing in your failure. It's rejoicing in His favor. Which voice will you give your ear to tonight? To your failure or to His favor? Number two this evening. Will you give your ear to the voice of your doubt or to the voice of your destiny? What happens is the angel appears. You're favored, Mary. Follows up by telling you, actually, God has chosen you. He has chosen you for this moment. And Mary, the words out of her mouth say, says, she says this, how can this be? I am a virgin. Which technically is correct. Biologically, I'm no biology student, but actually biologically, this should not have happened. 
This is a spiritual, amazing moment out of the natural. But this was not only limitation on Mary at that moment. Mary, there's two things the scripture tells us. Well, she was a woman and a, Naz- and a Nazarene. She was from Nazareth. Now, why is this important for us to know? Is that women in those days were excluded from most spiritual life. That was the man's business. The men go into the temple. The men go into it. The women stay out at a distance. We'll come and tell you what God is saying. Women were were forbidden from handling and reading the Torah. Men will read the Torah to you. We'll give an explanation. You can't know that yourself. And here, after 400 years of no spiritual activity, the first glimmer and glance of heaven coming to earth is to a woman. Oh, don't you love the way the father turns things on the head? She's a woman who should have been excluded, but God says, actually, I'm coming to that moment. Not only that, she's from a place called Nazareth. Now, Nazareth was a hillbilly backwater town. This is the Porfada. If you're from Porfada, welcome. We love you. But this is the, the, there was, was the joke was the Englishman, the Irishman, and the Nazarene. It was like the punchline of a joke. So much so in Mark chapter 6, they say, nothing good comes from Nazareth. It wasn't just a loose statement that happened, but often that was just the, the nature of the entrenched the think, thinking of the people, that nothing good comes from Nazareth. And, and Mary would have carried that. I'm a woman from Nazareth. This evening, let me say, maybe you're sitting here and you're saying nothing good has come from 2017. Just let me get to 2018. Maybe you're saying nothing good is coming from my marriage. I'm out. Nothing good has come from, it's probably better for the kids than even for me just to walk out. Maybe you're saying nothing good has come from me being in church. I come week in, week out, I see no change. Nothing really is happening. Maybe saying nothing good has come from my life. Here is the understanding for you and I this morning, this evening. It's making sure you guys are awake. You guys are doing well. Is that the Christmas understanding is that Jesus came into our mess. And he did not just come into our mess to bring order. He came into our mess to bring glory. You don't, you don't believe me, so I've got to do some work now. Genesis chapter 1, let me, let me help you. Genesis chapter 1, three times we get this understanding in the big, in the big macro version of, of, of Scripture. is in Genesis chapter 1, the Scripture opens up by telling us that the earth was formless, dark, and empty. It was chaos. But God comes into that thing, and He speaks one word, and His voice goes out, and life erupts. Everything that you can see with your eye, the, the, the heavens, the stars, the galaxies, the planets, the oceans, the mountains, and everything in between, and even to the micro things that you cannot see, the micro, myopic bacteria, he created it all just with the word of his mouth. He had no DIY kit. He had no manual. He had no Wikipedia Google search on how to do this. God created everything out of nothing. Mary's womb. Nothing going on in there. Nothing. There was no intervention from man. There was no relations with another man. God didn't say, cool, Joseph, can you just go and sleep with him? No, no, I don't need any man to make this happen. God said, out of the the impossibility of a a barren womb, I'm going to speak my word, and life will come out of nothing. Then the greatest of all was God comes over to a tomb that is just the cross that was meant to kill. Goes and Jesus gets taken and put into a tomb, and he's dead. It's housing death, and the stone was rolled away, but God speaks, and Jesus comes alive. Here's what Ephesians tells me. He says that we were raised to life with Christ. Out of our brokenness, while you were dead, he made you alive. Out of your nothing, he didn't need your, 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 your workmanship. He didn't need your works. He didn't need you to try hard. He said, out of your nothing, I'll bring glory. But here's the amazing thing for you and I, is that I believe this Christmas is not about a cute and cuddly Christmas story. It's about an explosive Christmas glory. We have to understand that. I'm beginning to preach now. 
The John 1 says, it says this way, it said, we have seen, we have beheld the glory of the one and only. And what is that John 1? If you look at verse 14, it says, the glory of God is that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That God made himself small. The son of God became the son of man so that the sons of men could become the sons of God. The glory of God, he says, I take nothing and I make explosive glory out of it. He has the understanding in this moment is that we don't need to change our circumstances. He just needs to change us. So I want to say the implication for my heart this evening that I need to preach to myself, to hear the voice of the Father say, actually, my circumstance will not determine my response. The nothing I see in front of me will not determine my response because I look to the one who holds my nothing and makes beautiful things come out of it. Which voice are you listening to to determine your future? Number three, and finally this evening, that will you listen and give your ear to the voice of fear or to the voice of his faithfulness? The voice of fear or his faithfulness. You see what happened is Mary, the words there said she was engaged to be married. Well, this was a bit of a problem for her in this situation because she was betrothed. She was, she was linked to a man named Joseph. And now if she came to Joseph and said, Joseph, I'm pregnant. He would have gone, that's interesting. And she'd say, no, but don't worry, it's not a man. It's, it's the Holy Spirit. She would have said, I've heard that one before, Mary. You know, the, the potential fear of that moment, because you know what? If Mary comes and says, I am pregnant and I've committed adultery, if that's the, the, uh, the notion that people pick up, that actually, Mary, you, you've sinned here in this thing, Joseph can actually divorce her. He can walk away. In Matthew chapter 1, they're betrothed, they're linked already if in, in covenant almost for the, the wedding day, pre- preparing for that moment. In Matthew 1, we hear that Joseph, at first, his first response to hearing this news, said he, he thought maybe I'll go divorce her quietly. She could be she could, the relationship will definitely be done with Joseph, but here's the, the implication, the runoff of that, is he'll be financially ruined. Because if you are implicated in this sort of scenario, you are a no-go zone for any other man forever. No one wants to put their reputation with that ruined reputation. So for Mary, this is a big moment, the legitimate fears. But here's the, the biggest one, is that actually the law permitted an adulterer to be stoned. So if Mary comes and the people don't believe her story, that it's the Holy Spirit. She can be stoned. She can be killed. This is legitimate fear that starts to leap up. And, I, I, and, I, and this is the understanding, is that I believe I've got a, a diary for 2018. And those blank pages maybe are filled with excitement. You're putting in birth dates or you're putting in that big trip you're waiting for and you're excited. Those blank pages are pages of possibility. Well, but maybe for you, they're not possibility. they pages that you're going, I, I can't do another month. I feel empty, and I, I'm just trying to drag my way to the end. I can't do another month of that marriage, of his attitude. I can't do another month of those kids. I can't do another month where we never seem to make it to the end with our finances. I can't do another one. And, that, and the, the pages of the future just seem fearing, fearful in your heart. When uh, Fiona and I, we, our little baby girl who was up here um, earlier, Olivia, when we first found out we were pregnant with her, I was excited. And then uh, when we thought, how should we tell people, Fear, if I'm honest, leapt in, leapt in my heart. Fear just leapt. And, and the voice of the enemy started to say, actually, you've, when you've been involved in church, you've seen a lot of miscarriages, a lot of painful moments, and families walking very painful journeys. And I thought, oh, maybe that's going to be, might, might that be our story? And out of legitimate wisdom, I said, you know what, Fee, maybe let's just keep it quiet for a while, because if something goes wrong, then we don't have to experience the pain of doing that in, in public. 
Sounds legitimate, sounds wise. Doctors actually even tell you, keep quiet till a certain period until you really are sure that the baby is, is doing well. But as this process and the voice of fear got louder and, and my heart started to be, be, shr- uh, be shrunk in this thing by the enemy's voices. See, the enemy doesn't come as a serpent. He comes with, his voice often sounds like yours. <laughs> sounds legitimate. But in that moment, I remember just as a female, we said, actually, you know what? We can't respond like this. So in a moment uh, at, at uh, Milton Congregation, I got up and I had discussed with my wife, but I hadn't told her it was happening that day. But I got up and I said, we're pregnant after four weeks of pregnancy. And, th- and, and then I said, and we're pregnant. And my folks, I said, all right, this is happening, eh? Okay. But it was for us, it was the most freeing, liberating things I realized. I said, actually, my, my confidence is not in my ability to manage this process. My confidence is in his faithfulness. He's the one who gives life. I trust him. <clears throat> and I want to walk the highs and the potential lows in community. I've said that. He has a moment for to do it. And actually, this is the understanding. I'm so grateful for that moment because ever since we've had Olivia, every time I'm a happy-go-lucky guy, but every time she gets sick, the sniffles or cough or something, I run to Google, what's wrong? And the potential, I just, I don't know, maybe you'll know it if, if you're a dad, but the fear started to leap up and it seems legitimate, but I've actually had to say, no, 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 but that's not the voice I'm going to listen to. I'm not going to have my life controlled by the voice of fear of what might happen, the what-ifs. Here's what Scripture tells us in Hebrews 6 verse 19. It says this, we have this hope as an anchor for our souls. Oh, I love that Scripture. We have this hope as an anchor for our souls, an anchor that holds us in the greatest of storms, no matter what storm you're facing. Maybe you've lost someone this year. And every time the phone rings, your hand trembles and you're nervous that actually there'll be bad news on the end of that line. And you say, I don't know if I can do that again. Let me tell you, sir, man, we have this hope, which is an anchor for our souls. Maybe you, uh, there's been company-wide retrenchments, and every time you see your boss start to walk down your corridor, you, you, you get nervous. You think, is today the day that I get sent off? Sir, man, we have this hope. It's an anchor for our souls. No matter what the storm is, we have this hope, and his name is Jesus. This evening, I want to ask you, do you hear the opposition or do you hear the opportunity? Do you hear the voice of fear which is op- opposing you? Or do you hear the voice of faith and his faithfulness calling you forward to trust him in this moment of uncertainty? I would ask you this. Do you hear the chariots behind you as the, Egyptians, as the Israelites left Egypt into their potential freedom and the chariots came from Egypt chasing them down? Do you hear the chariots behind you? Or do you see the Red Sea opening up in front of you? Do you see the oppositional opportunity? Do you hear Goliath start to taunt you and to remind you of your failing and your brokenness and your fear and Goliath to call you and your faith into question? Or do you hear the potential of him about to fall? Do you hear, do you feel the fire getting hotter and hotter and start to fear and trepidation that you're under pressure, I can't handle this? Or do you see the fourth man, Jesus, as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, start to step into the fire with you? Do you see the opposition or do you see the opportunity? Do you hear what voice are you giving attention to tonight? Because I want to tell you this and explain this in the, in the greatest way I can. That fear can only be silenced by faith. It cannot be managed. It cannot be kept in the corner. It cannot be walked through. It cannot have enough wisdom and safety rails around it. Fear is only silenced by faith. And too many people have been entertaining and allowing fear to have a voice in their life and to keep them shriveled in a corner, not stepping into the call that God has for them. The voice you listen to will determine the future you walk into. The voice of his faithfulness will be a big, wide open space. The voice of fear will lead into a small, small space. What voice will you be listening to? The scripture lands with these two lines. One saying this from the angel saying this, for nothing is impossible with God. 
for nothing is impossible with God. Now, let's be clear. It doesn't say for nothing is impossible for God. That's a given, though. Nothing is impossible for God. He can do whatever He likes. We know that. But here's the, 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 the amazing thing is I've underlined the word with in the Bible because nothing is impossible with God because what was the angel doing? He was inviting Mary into a partnership of impossibility. He says, Mary, actually, which voice are you going to partner with here? The voice of your fear or the voice of my faithfulness? Will you partner with the voice of your failure or in the voice of what I'm calling into you to, my favor? Which voice, your doubt or my destiny? Which voice are you going to partner with? Because nothing is impossible with God, Mary. Nothing is impossible with God. And Mary, to her credit, she had all these wrestles, potentially in her heart saying, will I go with the nation's failure? Will I go with my doubts and insecurity? Will I go with all these questions and fears in my heart? Or will I pardon and trust Him and say nothing is impossible? And this is what Mary says. She says, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Basically paraphrase, you're saying, it's your voice. I choose your voice. Everything around me says I should go with that voice. Everything around me says I should go for this voice. But I choose, despite what I see, what I hear, I choose your voice, the first preacher. Again and again, she chose that despite what was going on. And that is what I asked you this evening to decide in your heart. Which voice are you going to allow to speak loudly tonight? Which voice? Because this is understanding. Hope has a name. It's not a principle. It's not a philosophy. It's a person, and his name is Jesus Christ. Hope in Jesus. So I land again by asking you the question, which voice will you give prominence in your life? Your past, your present, your future fears, or the voice of promise, the voice of hope? This is what Hebrews chapter 4 says. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. God's speaking to his people. Today, if you hear my voice, do not harden your heart. What is your response in this moment? Can we close our eyes, please? I'd love to pray. I've had the privilege of preaching this word three times today. Still get very excited. I've had the privilege of preparing this and preaching it to my wife multiple times this week. I'm still so caught up with that question. The voice that I choose to listen to determines the future that I walk into. There was nothing extraordinary about Mary. She was an ordinary woman. She had an extraordinary response. And you and I, as ordinary sons and daughters which have an extraordinary response there as we say, God, I, this, despite what I see, despite what I hear, I choose your voice. If you tonight are saying, I need to make a shift, I need to turn my ear from my failures, I need to turn my ear from my doubts, I need to turn my ear from my fears and, and say, God, I'm listening to your voice, your favor, your destiny, your faithfulness. I'd love you to lift your hands this evening so I can pray for you. Lift them as high as you can. Nothing magical about that. It's just an activation of faith saying, God, my heart is open. Father, I thank you as these hands are lifted right now. You see these hands, but more importantly, you see their hearts. And you are speaking your words of life. Father God, where that barking dog of guilt and shame has barked and barked and barked and barked and barked. Today, there's, we, we understand the truth that your blood speaks a better word. Your blood speaks 
a better word and will not keep silent. Your blood speaks a better word. It speaks favor. It speaks future. It speaks destiny. It speaks faithfulness. It speaks inheritance. It speaks future. And Father, we believe that voice tonight. Your blood speaks a better word. I thank you, Father, that even cleanses us of a guilty conscience. Tonight, where people have trailed, they carry that trailer for too long, carry that bag. Everywhere they go, they feel I'm held down by that big suitcase of my past regrets. I'm just carrying and it's, it's weighing me down. Tonight, you're saying, leave it here. Leave it with me. He's like, no, no, let me, let me unpack it first. No, 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 leave it here. You don't need to rearrange things. You don't need to unpack things. You have to just trust it with Jesus. Right now, I pray for your voice, your voice of favor, your voice of favor to press through the doubts. My favor is based on my nature, not yours. My favor is based on my victory, not your history. My favor is received. So right now, in this space, Jesus, we receive your favor. And to that invitation, nothing is impossible with God, we place our hand in yours. Let everything you say about us come true, God. Thank you, Father. The voice we listen to determines the future we walk into. May we treasure that in our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.